<coughs> All right. Well, if you would take out your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 8. Genesis, chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 19. So Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 19. Here's what we read. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of a hundred and fifty days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month, In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove and she would not return to him any more. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. And then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. I don't know about you, but I have never been a very patient man. One day, I will be. That's the hope I have, right? Because I believe that my Savior is in a process of making me who I ought to be, making me holy, fitting me for heaven. One day, I will be a patient man. I wonder about you, whether you would consider yourself a a patient person. And I can tell you this, if you are a Christian, God this very moment is in a process of making you who you are to be, which means He is bringing into your life lessons, things that He is using to teach you 
patience. And sometimes the trials that God brings into our lives to teach us this lesson are difficult. But we can have confidence that our God is a wise teacher. He will accomplish His purpose of instilling in us the same perfect patience that He Himself has shown towards us. My dad is a very patient man. He is rare in how much it takes to cause my dad to no longer bear with a situation. Uh, Others are much more short-tempered. Sometimes we'll say of someone, well, so-and-so, he or she has a a short fuse. Once that fuse is lit, you need only wait a moment before the explosion comes. Well, for us as Christians, we need to understand that patience is essential to the Christian life because the Christian life is a life of waiting. We as Christians are waiting to see our Savior. We are waiting to be made holy. We are waiting for our new resurrection bodies. We are waiting to see the wrongs of this world set right. We are a people who are waiting for the new earth and for the glory of God that we will experience there. As Christians living on this earth today, our life is, by its very nature, a life of waiting. Now, we're not supposed to be doing nothing. We have work to do, don't we? But we're still waiting. As I said, waiting is something that is hard for me. I hate to wait in doctor's offices. Um, I hate to wait in traffic. Um, I can't stand to go in a store where there's 20 people waiting and one register open. Um, But that impatience is sin. It reflects a lack of contentment in God. And it reflects a lack of faith that He is in control and that everything's going to be okay. When we look to Noah and his family in Genesis 8, we see, in a sense, a picture of the Christian life. The new world has been promised to them. Their salvation is being accomplished, and yet they must wait for the appointed time for them to step out of that ark and into dry land. And so for many, many, many days, Noah and his family were playing the waiting game, waiting for the new world. Just as you and I as Christians are playing the waiting game, we are waiting on God for that day of redemption to come. In verse 1, we're told that God remembered Noah. Now, God has not forgotten this righteous man whose holy life had brought him great pleasure. And God has not forgotten the promise that he made to Noah to deliver him. Um, When the Bible says that God remembered Noah, don't think that this means that God must have forgotten Noah and all of a sudden it it just came into God's mind. Oh, Noah. No. This is covenant language. It's used several times in the Scripture. It is the signal that God is now about to act in such a way that we're going to see that He is faithful to the promise that He made to Noah. Think all the way back with me to the the beginning of this series in Genesis and the very first sermon on Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 
If you remember those sermons about the creation of the world at its very beginning, you may remember the verse that talked about how the Holy Spirit or the Spirit, the wind, was hovering over the waters of the earth. Do you remember that picture? The earth began as just this watery mass and the Spirit hovering over it. Well, I think that's interesting because in verse 2 of chapter 8, or verse 1, it says, And God made a wind, and it's the same word as Spirit, blow over the earth and the water subsided. And just as we talked about at the beginning of this series, how when God created the world, it was through His Spirit that God began to to cause the waters to withdraw and to bring order to the earth. So now again, God is using, I think, His Spirit to begin to cause the waters to move away and to bring back form and order to the earth. Let me see if I can give you a, a, a timeline. The flood began... On the 17th day of the second month of Noah's 600th year. So Noah's 600 years old, okay? Second month, 17th day. The ark hits land, the mountains of Ararat, on the 17th day of the seventh month. So for five months, um, Noah and the, the zoo, okay, and his family are floating on the water. The ark was afloat 150 days. The flooding of the earth was the first 40 of those days. And then the receding of the waters began and lasted 110 days and continues. Imagine floating along on the ark for 150 days with no land in sight, just water as far as you can see. Um, many people over the centuries, we no longer live in a day where this happens often, but many people over the centuries would take voyages, maybe from uh, the, the British Isles over to here in America, and, and they would be on a boat away from land for many, many weeks, even months. But here we have the only human beings in existence, the only animals, land animals in existence, they're all on this boat... And it's not just that they're away from dry land. There is no dry land. It's just them and water. And so you can imagine what Noah and his family must have thought and felt when the ark suddenly sets ground on the mountains of Ararat. And and it may have been, I could see in my own heart how this could happen, that they thought, yes, we've hit land. We're almost at the end. We'll be out of the ark soon been 150 days we're ready to get out and yet the bible tells us that they were not even halfway through yet genesis 8 5 tells us that two and a half months later after the 150 days on the first day of the 10th month the tops of the mountains were first seen can you imagine these these massive mountains seeing the tips of them beginning to to emerge in the water. They certainly didn't look massive at the moment. It would be another 150 days after that day before God would give the command for Noah and his family to come out of the ark. In the end, they were on the ark for a year and ten days. Now, we have this episode here Uh, beginning in verse 6 through verse 12 of these birds. 
Forty days after the mountaintops had been seen for the very first time, Noah begins releasing these birds from the ark. He releases a raven first, and then he releases a dove three times. And he does this all in intervals of seven days. And so he'll release one, and then he waits a week, and then he releases again. And these birds seem to mark for Noah the receding of the water. This is, in a sense, Noah's way of of keeping tabs on how the water is receding. Um, A raven was released first, and, and many think that that's because it could find a place to perch on the mountaintops, and it could eat off of the carcasses that were floating in the water. And so even before there was green leaves that like, like the dove would need to eat, the raven could go out, it could eat off the carcasses, and it could dwell on the mountaintops. And so the fact that it was able to fly to and fro, we're not told that it returned to the ark. Um, and so the fact that it would fly to and fro uh, makes many think that this was the first sign that the water was receding, that the raven was able to go and to dwell on, uh, on these mountaintops. A dove was released second, But it found no place to rest, showing that the waters had not yet receded enough to reveal habitable land for the dove. The dove was released again a week later. And this time it returned with an olive leaf. That was obviously a good sign. In fact, we're told at this point that no one knew the waters had subsided from the earth. And then a week later, the dove was released a final time. And it did not return. Noah's patience... And the midst of all this is seen in two ways. First, it's seen in that he was willing to wait a week before sending out the bird again. I imagine if I had been in Noah's shoes, I'd been wanting to send out the bird every day. <laughs> you know, I, I want to have the first news. Is that I want to know the very moment that there is green, livable plant life happening on the earth. I, I would want to know. And so the fact that, that he was willing to, to wait a week, send the bird again, wait a week, Send a bird again. It uh, just seems to show that he was not anxious in heart as all this was, was going on. Um, it seems to show that he had a contented heart, uh, certainly because of his trust in God. Second, and supremely, we see Noah's patience in the fact that he did not leave the ark until God commanded him to do so. Even after we're told that the earth was dry, And yet God makes them wait several more weeks while the earth dries out. That's what we're told. No one, his family, there was dry land, there was dry ground, and yet they stayed in the ark until God gave the command. Why was God uh, telling them to stay in the ark during that time? We don't know. We're just told that he was waiting for the earth to dry out. The land was dry, according to verses, and then it says, but we had to wait for the earth to dry out. Maybe it was to protect them from disease that that could be there. I I don't know what was happening, but God calls them to stay in the ark a while longer, and Noah and his family, rather than tearing down the door and, and running out, was willing to wait patiently for God's command. They waited almost 60 more days with all those animals until God gave the command to come out. Matthew Henry, um, still I think my favorite commentator, says this, God consults our benefit rather than our desires. In other words, He does what we need, not what we want. He knows what is good for us better than we do for ourselves. And how long it is fit for our restraints to continue, and desired mercy should be delayed. We 
would go out of the ark before the ground is dried. And perhaps, if the door is shut, are ready to thrust off the covering and to climb up some other way. But God's time of showing mercy is the best time. As Noah had a command to go into the ark, so, how tedious soever his confinement there was, he would wait for a command to go out again. We must, in all our ways, acknowledge God and set Him before us in all our removals. Those only go under God's protection who follow God's direction and submit to Him. Well, all of us in this room are believers in God's waiting room. If you're a believer, you are in God's waiting room. and We are awaiting the return of Christ and the consummation of all things, but we're also waiting on God for other things. Um, I wonder how many of us in here have been regularly praying for someone we love to come to know the Lord. And we're praying and we're waiting for God to answer that prayer. Many of us have dreams of big, big, big ways that we long for God to use us as individuals and our families and our church for His own glory. And we're just crying out to Him each day, God, will you use us? Will you do something great? And then at the same time, we're taught to, to be patient and to wait and to wait for God to bring answers to those prayers. I've um, often shared with you how much I hate a stomach virus. Uh, I think they are the worst things ever. Um, and I, the reason I have much experience with this is I get one every single year. Every single winter, I get a stomach virus. And um, this year, it was, it was the weekend of the family conference, and I was, it was good. It was only about 48 hours, and so uh, it was bad timing, but at least it was briefer than it has been in the past. But um, every year, at, during the winter, I get the stomach virus, and during, during those days, and I'm just feeling terrible, I'm just praying and praying and praying, God, take this away from me. Help me feel better. I just want to feel better. Take this away from me. And yet, at the same time, I have to tell myself while I'm laying there with the trash can by my side, you know, the Lord's timing is best. You've brought this thing to me for a reason, and I have to trust that when you believe it's best for it to leave me, it will leave me. And, uh, and so that's, that's hard. Um, sometimes it seems to us like God is running late, right? Why hasn't He answered us yet? Why hasn't He done what we have pleaded and pleaded and pleaded with Him to do? God... The ground looks dry enough to me, right? And yet we have to trust that God is never late and His timing is always perfect. It takes time for fruit to become ripe. Um, I, I, it takes time for the chicken casserole in the oven to cook. And if you eat it too early, not only is it not going to taste very good, but it will do you Harm. Well, so also God knows exactly how long you and I should live. He knows exactly how long each and every trial He brings into our life should last. He knows exactly how many days ought to pass before the Lord Jesus returns. All of these things are clear in the wise mind of God. They're not clear in my mind. They're clear in His mind. And we have to trust Him. It all boils down to faith. Do we trust that our God is wise and do we trust that He is good? 
Patience is the fruit of a trusting soul. You will have contentment in your soul when you have faith in your soul, when you are resting in God. There are a number of psalms that speak about waiting on the Lord. And many of these psalms, they just seem like the kind of thing Noah himself might have been praying during these days of waiting. Psalm 135, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His Word I hope. Noah had a promise. God had said that He was going to bring him into this new world. So I can see Noah praying, My soul is waiting. My soul is waiting on the Lord. In that promise that He gave me, that's my hope, and I'm waiting. And that's exactly where you and I are as Christians, isn't it? We're waiting for Jesus to come. We're waiting for for God to bring us out of this sin-filled world into a world where we will be in, in His glory forever. All we have is His Word. And we're hoping in that word until the day comes when he brings its fulfillment. When we need encouragement to persevere in waiting on God to answer our prayers, a good place to look is the Psalms. Um, None who wait for you shall be put to shame. Psalm 25.3 Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, all who wait for the Lord. Psalm 31, 24. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Psalm 33, 20. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Psalm 37, 7. And that was just in the first few Psalms up to 37. I didn't keep going, but the, the Psalms are filled with this language of waiting on the Lord. Would you not agree that our God has been patient towards us? Did He not wait patiently for the day when we would repent and believe? He did not have a short fuse towards us. The day we committed our first sin, He did not break out against us and immediately cast us into hell. But rather, despite our thousands and thousands of offenses, He bore them all patiently awaiting the day when our hearts would turn towards Him. We ought to consider Christ on the cross and all that He endured and remember that He could have ended that suffering at any moment, but He patiently endured the judgment of God on our behalves. And even this very moment, God is patient towards us like a a father with... um, struggling children. Uh, And if God has been so patient towards us, what in the world would keep us from not waiting patiently for Him to answer our prayers and to fulfill His promises? Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It is one of the evidences that our faith is true and that God has truly changed our hearts. And as we grow in our confidence in God, we will grow in patience. And so here we are in the waiting room. 
All of us as Christians are waiting on this chief one thing, the the chief one thing that Noah and his family were waiting on to step out of that ark and into this new world. So you and I as Christians, we are together as one body waiting on this one chief thing, the return of Christ. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Bring us to Yourself. You said that that You were going to prepare a place for us, that that where You are, we would always be. And so we're, we're waiting for Him to come and to gather us together and to go to that place so we're we're all waiting on that one chief thing and then each of us as individuals and families are waiting on on different things answers to prayer and things that we've been calling out to god for 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 a long time how we wait is important imagine you are in a waiting room maybe at at a doctor's office and maybe there's one lady and she's been waiting for three hours And she's got a lot of other things she needs to do. But she has sat patiently. She's smiling. She's engaging in kind conversation with others in the room. And maybe there's another person and he's been waiting 15 minutes. And he's already pacing back and forth around the waiting room, just just fuming as he waits. He keeps going up to the desk and demanding to be seen. Don't they understand? He has a schedule to keep. Well, as Christians, the power of our Savior and what He has done in our lives should be seen in this. We are to have patience, even when those around us who are unbelievers, whether they have short fuses or long fuses, when they have finally reached the end point of their patience, our patience should continue. We are to be known, church, for our long-suffering. Because that characterizes our God, doesn't it? That's the character of our Savior. And so it ought to be a characteristic of His people that we know how to wait when the patience of others has worn thin. We are to be known for our quiet contentment. As a Christian, how you wait on God is a testimony to others about Him. If you are impatient towards God, if you complain about His slowness, then you give the impression to others that our God is not trustworthy and that He is incapable of satisfying your soul. But when we have learned our place, when we have learned to humble ourselves and been trained to wait on the Lord, our quiet contentment as we wait for answers to prayer will speak volumes about the goodness of our God. I think about the number of men and women I've seen in my life going through kinds of physical pain that I have never had to endure. They would hear me talk about stomach viruses and say, you hadn't experienced anything yet. And yet I have seen many a godly man or woman suffering, not just for a few days, but for weeks, months, and years, who certainly had been crying out to God for God to take that pain away, and yet they waited patiently. And you never heard them complain, and you never heard them wanting to go to others and to just talk about their agony. They bore it quietly with a contentment in their soul, and that's because they knew the Lord, and they walked with the Lord, and they trusted that His timing was right. Many of those We have some of those in our church, and they set a good example for us. And we need to learn from their example. We need to look at the example of their faith. I want to give you some questions. 
three questions to ask yourself as you wait on God. All right, you're in your ark, and uh, you're waiting for the day to come. Uh, the chief thing, Christ coming back, the littler things, the prayers that you've been waiting for God to answer. Three questions to see, are you waiting well? Question number one. Is your soul content as you wait on God? Thomas Watson says, When the strings of a lute are snarled up, the lute is not fit to make music. So also, when a Christian spirit is perplexed and disturbed, he cannot make melody in his heart to the Lord. When a man is not angry at his sins, but at his condition, this is different from patience. Listen, discontentment is the daughter of pride. Did you know that? It is sin, Christian, to be discontent. God did not give His Son as a Savior to us, and He did not give us the thousands of glorious promises in these pages so that we could be discontent and unsatisfied with Him. Rather, His glory is seen when the world looks at our lives and says, look, they have found genuine peace in God. Look at what they're going through. And yet they face it all with a deep-seated confidence in their hearts. Are you waiting with contentment in your heart? Remember the patience of Job, all that he endured. And yet he trusted the Lord. Question number two. Is there any anger in your heart towards God as you wait on Him? Is there any anger in your heart maybe because of things that He has brought into your life? Sometimes when we are waiting in a, in a doctor's office, anger can begin to, to build in our hearts towards that doctor. That doctor may be a very fine person, and yet we begin to have nasty feelings towards that doctor simply because we're having to wait. And we have no grounds for this anger, but we're just having to wait, and it causes us to become angry. We need to understand that when God has us for a time waiting on Him, we have no grounds for anger towards Him. He is being nothing but gracious to us. All that He does is for His glory and our good. And so we ought never to have anger towards God or the way He has treated us. I assure you, He is treating us well. You will look back on your life and you will see, Christian, that every moment was a gift of love for your good from His hand. And so if there is any anger in your heart because of something that God has brought into your life, I would call on you to repent of that and to turn to God and to trust Him. Question number three. Is there any thought in your heart that you are somehow not receiving the treatment you deserve? Are you like the man that goes up to the desk and says, I deserve better than this? Or do you realize the truth that you and I both should be wiped out in a flood of God's wrath with the rest of humanity? And that only because of God's grace are we waiting in the ark of Christ Jesus for our day of redemption to come. 
We are being treated infinitely better than we deserve. Every moment is a moment in which we are being sanctified, in which we are being made fit for heaven. Even the most difficult and painful moments are moments in which God is loving us. God is caring for us. God is bringing about our salvation. Thomas Watson said that the godly man ought to be able to say not only good is the word of the Lord, but also good is the rod of the Lord. Can you say Can you kiss the rod that God brings into your life for your own good? Is your heart thankful for God's gracious acts towards you? Even those trials and those periods of waiting that He brings into your life. Well, what should you do when your heart is discontented and in turmoil? Well, We sang a great song, Be Still My Soul, that was simply preaching truth to your soul. And that's exactly the example that we see in the Psalms and throughout the Bible. When your soul is discontented, preach truth to your soul. Tell your soul. Listen to what the psalmist does in Psalm 42.5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope is... In God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. When the psalmist saw that his soul was discontented, he was anxious, he was stressed, there was not peace in his heart, that psalmist said to his own soul, hope in God. And so also when you are in moments when your soul is disturbed within, learn to preach to yourself. Self, remember the God who bought you. He did not give His Son in order to let you be miserable. He gave you His Son to bring you to Himself forever. He will take care of you. Learn to preach truth, soul-quieting truth to yourself. When Peter took his eyes off of Christ, he became anxious and began to sink. But when his eyes were again on the Lord, Christ reached out and he kept him steady. So also we are to keep our eyes on the truth of who our Savior is and all that he has promised to do for us. When our eyes are on Christ, there should be peace in our souls. The same Savior, as we sang in another song tonight, the same Savior who said to the wind and the waves, peace be still say to your stormy heart peace be still and he does that as we trust in who he is in his word we need to remind ourselves that our waiting in this life even waiting through suffering will be rewarded and it will be rewarded beyond anything you or I can imagine listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 17 Listen, this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You say, Justin, my my afflictions are not light. Well, friend, compared to what we deserve, our afflictions in this life are light. 
You say, Justin, my affliction is not momentary. Friend, compared to eternity, your affliction in this life is momentary. Don't think when Paul says this light momentary affliction that Paul didn't know what it was to suffer. (laughs) Paul knew much more about what it was to suffer than I will probably ever know. And yet he was able to call his deep-seated sufferings light momentary afflictions. And he said that compared to the eternal weight of glory... Well, he said the eternal weight of glory that his light momentary afflictions were preparing him for were beyond all comparison. In other words, you set your sufferings and your waiting today beside the glory that's coming to you and there's no comparison. Here's your sufferings and there's the glory. It's the mustard seed and the mountain. So endure patiently the suffering, the the waiting, the time that God has called for you to be in this life and to endure certain things. There is glory coming. A year and ten days on a crowded ark with a bunch of animals, I am sure, seemed like an eternity. And I am sure it did not seem like a light affliction. And yet it was nothing compared to the eternal life that Noah now knows with our Savior. Our God is working in us for our good. Sometimes getting healthy means painful exercise and the sacrifice of certain foods and even expensive medications or agonizing therapies. And yet we know that those things are for our good. Well, God is the physician of our souls. He is making us spiritually healthy, holy, so that we can go to heaven. Remember what the book of Hebrews says, holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so God will bring painful things into your life. He will bring trials into your life, and yet they are for your spiritual health and good. Endure whatever trial you are going through. For one day the door of the ark will open and you will step out into a new world. And just as Noah did, you will joyfully worship with a heart full of God, amazed by His goodness towards you. And so, if there are any here tonight and you're going through something difficult or you're playing the waiting game, I hope that this sermon will be a call for you tonight, an exhortation that will encourage you to persevere, trust in God and wait patiently on Him. He will be faithful. Amen. If this sermon wasn't for you tonight, hold on to it. It'll come in handy later. Okay? It will. Are there any questions? about uh, anything that was said this morning or this evening. Any questions you have uh, about these passages?